Hello, welcome to episode two of the Duncan Lewis This is Housing podcast. I'm your host, Richard Mahal. Today, we are going to be discussing all things disrepair. Disrepair is a big topic and related to disrepair, we're going to be talking about poor housing conditions in general because not all poor housing conditions, um, as we'll discuss, necessarily amount to disrepair. Joining me on today's episode is Aves, Daljit, Rita, Amanjinda. So, disrepair, uh, let's jump into the topic. So, we're going to start by discussing what disrepair is. What is within the scope of disrepair? What isn't necessarily within the scope of disrepair, but for which you might still have some kind of claim if you're the tenant or if you're the landlord, something that you need to very much be aware of in order to avoid having some kind of claim brought against you. We're also going to discuss in the process some of the recent high-profile infamous cases of tenants who have been living in poor housing conditions and who sadly um, in some instances have, have, have lost their lives. So if we jump straight into it, what is disrepair and what distinguishes disrepair from other kinds of poor housing conditions? Who, who, wants to, who, wants to, who wants to start? Okay, so housing disrepair is quite a wide topic. It mm. encompasses quite a lot. It refers to the condition of a property. You know, if it's in a state of deterioration, if there's damage to it, if it's poor mm. condition or if it's been poorly maintained. It typically involves issues such as structural damage, problems with plumbing, heating, electrical systems, dampness, mould, other issues that might affect mm. the health and safety mm. and overall quality of a home. Mm. If you are subject, if there is disrepair in the property, tenants do have legal recourse um, mm. to challenge their landlords for the upkeep maintenance of the property. You know, it will depend on what your tenancy agreement says, but there's also a lot of legal framework mm -hmm. that encompasses a lot of things that are implied mm -hmm. into what a landlord should be doing and looking after. Mm -hmm. um, they have to make sure the property is habitable. I think that's the main thing. There's mm. so many things that fall under that. What is habitable um, or what could be classed disrepair? What makes property uninhabitable? If a landlord fails to actually carry out works after being notified, especially after a reasonable period is given, tenants do have a legal recourse to redress. Mm -hmm. um, that could be through injunctions for specific uh, performance to carry out specific works. And it also includes potentially damages mm -hmm. for a period of time where properties are unsuitable and unfit for habitation, you know, to be lived in. Mm -hmm. um, so it's disrepair is all about the condition, the maintenance, what's been going on in the property. Mm. Is it is it safe to live in? Mm. And so it does encompass quite a bit. So can we maybe focus in on some kinds of common issues that tenants might might experience and they which they might not realise um, could amount to disrepair? What Rita are some of the common kinds of issues that tenants might might face that could could qualify as disrepair? Um, mold is actually quite a big one. Mm -hmm. um, it's essentially uh, referring to the growth of fungi. Um, and it's quite common and it can actually be um, caused by various factors. Mm -hmm. For instance, mold would uh, develop where mm -hmm. there's excess moisture or dampness. It could be due to water leaks in the property, mm -hmm. poor ventilation or high humidity levels. Another issue would perhaps uh, be condensation. This is mm. where warm, uh, moist air uh, comes into contact with cold surfaces, thus leading to um, the growth of mould um, on windows, uh, mm -hmm. walls and ceilings. Mm. Also, inadequate insulation in a property can cause issues contributing to condensation and mould growth. 
mold is actually it has adverse issues um structurally and um on the health of tenants in the property and we've actually seen a rise in uh, mold and damp cases um since the homes fitness for human habitation act furthermore the more recent uh, case concerning baby awab ishak who actually died from a respiratory condition which was actually caused by exposure to mold in their home uh, mm. whereby the landlord Rochdale Borough Wide Housing it was actually ruled by the coroner that this was a direct contributing factor in the development of the mold and the mm. landlord they actually acknowledged that um, they should have taken a more proactive response mm. uh, to treat the mold which was present and baby Ishak's uh, parents had continued to notify them mm. so that has mm. definitely raised quite a big issue and I think it's allowed landlords to realise how severe mould and damp truly can be. Yeah, Rita, the case of Awab Ishak that you mentioned, that's a very high profile and, and a tragic case of an infant losing their life because of exposure um, over a sustained period of time to black mould growth. And Awab Ishak's death has heralded the introduction of a new law, hasn't it? Yeah, um, so that that law is going to be known as Awab's law. Um, obviously, that's not in force yet. And it's such a tragedy that um, a young child has had to lose their life despite the tenants having done everything correctly in terms of reporting to their landlord, mm. repeatedly seeking help for issues such as, as mould and, and doubt for that to be repaired. Mm. But very little was done. So eventually, within the Social Housing Regulation Bill, when that does come into force, what this will um, ensure is that landlords, yeah, landlords will have to investigate and fix problems, especially if they are reported adequately by the tenant. In a way, what this will end up doing is, even for the housing ombudsman, mm. um, it will assist them uh, mm. to improve the performance of landlords um, and kind of give them a, a very strict guideline as to what needs to be done and by when. Mm. Um, so it, 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 it's going to definitely bring changes, and we hope that not just in theory, but in practice, um, these changes help, firstly, maintaining the properties adequately by landlords and for tenants to have uh, better conditions to, to live in their properties. Mm. Mm. But do you think the Ombudsman would have the capacity to deal with all of this work? I mean, it's, it's quite early to say, but potentially there could be a, a floodgate of, of disrepair issues and, and complaints, um, especially with fa failings from landlords as to how they need to be maintaining these properties. I mean, only time will tell, but it's, it's definitely a step in the right direction. I agree. I agree. I think it's really important for tenants, occupiers to be aware of is to report any mould and damp in the property straight away. And I think some people would assume having a bit of mould, they can just wipe it with bleach or the landlord tell them, oh, we're going to come and just, we're just going to clean the wall and it's it's gone. But with mould, I think it's really important to know that it could be a serious underlying factor of causation and therefore continuous exposure to mould can have a serious impact on, on your health, but also your children's health. So it is really important for anyone listening who are encountering damp in their properties to report it immediately to, to your landlord and to contact your environmental health officer at your local authority, but also 
to seek medical assistance from your GP if you are suffering any health conditions as, as, as a result? Um, I, I absolutely agree. And further to that, um, it's, it's very important that um, as, as a tenant, you kind of record the conditions of the property. So especially if you have a mole, for example, take photographs, keep, keep a record of everything that's, that's happening in that property, how bad the conditions are. I mean, even your written correspondences, if you do it by email or letters, keep a file of it because it will definitely assist, especially if, if anybody listening does want to contact and um, require our assistance, then um, absolutely keeping a record of all of that is, is so important. Um, another issue that I, I do tend to find is that a lot of tenants, because they, there's a distrust of their landlord, they don't want to grant access um, for the landlords to come in and do the repair work. Again, if you look into your own tenancy agreements, it's, it's pretty much there. If they've given you notice, they want to come in and do the repair work, then allow them to do so. But again, if you've got pictures of how bad the condition was, that will help. So make sure you keep a record of it and you allow your landlords to um, come into the property as long as they've notified. But I do think it's really important if the landlords or local authorities are not doing anything is to seek legal assistance mm -hmm. immediately and sometimes landlords as soon as they receive a pre-action protocol letter from lawyers like us they would immediately go into that property and start repairing it which is the most important aspect but it's also important that you maintain and keep a record of everything all the disrepair in the property but also keep a record of every time you've notified the landlord i think that's that's really important because we, we probably can all agree we've had so so many cases where landlords have disputed any notification despite being in the property or coming to see the tenant. So that's that's really important in order to to make a claim against against any landlord. And and this is including not just private but also social landlords as well. And I think a lot of clients, especially what clients we see, they're worried that if they make a complaint, they're going to be evicted or, you know, they'll be provided with a notice. We just want to ensure that this is incorrect and unlawful if if the landlords do do that. Yeah, Avaith, um, you did mention about um, notice. So what would be considered as reasonable notice provided by the landlord? Um, so, I mean, reasonable notice, it's it, it's so normally like mentioned has already echoed. Um, it's something which you should be doing as soon as you have that issue there. I mean, some, if we had to put a number on it, we could even say within a week, um, 14 days within that same month. But you don't want to leave it lingering for a, a period of time, let's say, three months on and you say, okay, I've got a disrepair issue which started um, quite a while back because then questions can arise as to why was it not reported before? Was it causing any issues? Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, to add to that, I think, I don't know, Rita, if you meant reasonable notice given by the landlord or given to the landlord. Um, they kind of dealt with, um, actually pretty well dealt with the notice given to the landlord, I do it as soon as possible. Mention has already addressed it, look, do it in writing, do it, keep a good record, etc. When you're going, when you're the landlord or when you give them the landlord notice, what is reasonable notice for them to give you to come to the property? I think that's, I'm too sure if you yeah. kind of go down that route. The reasonable notice all depends on the, the level of disrepair. They should be looking to action it ASAP. If it's something that's really, really serious, i.e. there's no heating, there's no hot water, um, that's got to be, reasonable notice has got to be, you know, it's an emergency. So depending on your tenancy agreement, that could be anything from 24 to 48 hours. Um, but they should, any landlord should give 
notice and they should try to arrange a time yes, which is most suitable that could be you know you might be busy for that week and you know yeah. the disrepair might be something that you can allow access in a week's time so reasonable notice will depend on the circumstances when it's urgent landlords can enter the property quite soon or they can request to enter the property quite soon and normally terms of your tenancy agreement have that set out as well so it's important to keep a copy of that um, because that will give you information not only of your rights but of the landlord's obligations and how do you reckon notice should be provided to the landlord? I would do it in the way that could be recorded. So in the way, mm-hmm. i.e. could be um, a message by text, WhatsApp, whatever, email. Um, in writing. Yeah, it should definitely be in writing. Yeah, imagine it's 100% right. It's great to do it over the phone, and yeah, I appreciate that is the most convenient and quickest way to get through to some landlords. But again, if it's, I imagine it's in much earlier in the podcast, if you're, we've all had cases where landlords mm-hmm. say, look, I've never been received that call. I've never received that call. And it's and your clients and our clients are adamant that they made this request. So essentially keeping a trail. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. If you don't keep a trail, then it's always going to be in dispute or, you know, depending on what you're like, it might be in dispute. But yeah, in writing, something that can be recorded. Another issue that actually comes up, I've realised, mm-hmm. is where tenants tend to withhold rental payment due to the poor conditions in the home. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I think that a tenant should not withhold rent because repair work is not being carried out. That can only make a bad situation worse because that effectively will give the landlord a pretext, an excuse, a justification for then claiming that uh, a tenant has unlawfully withheld rent and could seek possession proceedings against the tenant. Um, That is the last thing that a tenant wants to, uh, the situation that a tenant wants to find themselves in. It is much, much better to continue paying the rent, try to obtain the advice of a a solicitor who will be able to compel your landlord through a lawful legal procedure to carry out repair work and perhaps even to compensate you for the conditions that you've had to experience enduring the property. So we always advise our clients, don't withhold the rent as however tempting it may be in the circumstances, however long the disrepair has been going on. Yeah, certainly. In terms of what a solicitor can do with regards to a housing disrepair issue, Manjinda, what are your thoughts? What do you think a solicitor can actually do when a client comes with uh, concerns regarding the poor conditions in the home? That's a really good question, Rita. Um, I think it's really important for tenants to obtain legal advice as soon as possible, especially when their landlords have failed to take any action. What we can do as solicitors and what solicitors can do is they can review the tenant situation and assess the extent of the disrepair. We also are able to instruct an expert surveyor to attend attend the property to provide a report as to the extent of the disrepair. Because I think sometimes clients are not perhaps fully aware what other disrepair issues they have in in their properties. And and having an expert report, I think, is is beneficial just to for our solicitor to understand the extent, but also to inform the landlord of the remedial works that are carried out to the property. But before we do go to court, before we issue any proceedings, it's imperative that we are in communication with the landlord and carry out all negotiations. It's really important that we send a pre-action protocol letter to the landlord, notifying them of of the issues in the property. But what actually is the pre-action protocol letter? A pre-action protocol letter is effectively, I like to describe to my clients it as being a a legal ultimatum. It is the final opportunity that uh, the 
the landlord in this instance is given to remedy the particular issue that the tenant is complaining about, in this instance, disrepair. It needs to set out what the disrepair is. It needs to set out what the background of the issues are, and it needs to give the landlord a particular period of time within which to, to, to remedy their, their wrongdoing. Normally, this is 20 working days. There was a Court of Appeal case about ADR, um, alternative dispute resolution, that tenants must follow before they issue any proceedings in court. I think it was called... Uh, oh, Churchill and Merthyr Tidwell County Borough Council. That's it. Uh, when was that heard? Well, the judgment was meant to be handed on the, the 10th of November. And at the moment, it was reserved on the day. We haven't had it received yet, so that should be interesting. Because mm. then that's going to set um, a decent, a really good precedent about, well, what steps should be taken before any claim can really be brought. So it's quite a big case. Yeah, um, but don't you think it would have a negative impact on tenants, or do you think it would have a positive impact? It depends on the it depends on the landlord really. Mm. Um, it depends on how engaged the landlord is in the first place. So the landlord's quite engaged, and ADR can be quite helpful. There's like the whole pre action uh, protocol process. But if they're not very communicative, well, then it just delays recourse really for a tenant. I think that's, um, it kind of depends on what your landlord is like, really. So landlords make sure you engage and tenants make sure you take the opportunity when it's given to you. Yeah. I think it's really important that tenants do, for social landlords especially, no authority, I think it's important that tenants do consider the the landlord's policies for disrepair as well, because um, certain policies, they might have certain obligations to follow. <clears throat> My only concern with this case law is, is it going to be a problem for tenants to issue proceedings if the disrepair is so severe, if they are forced to follow this mm. ADR yeah. measure? I don't know. So... At the same time, ADI is an important tool that allows a party to resolve such disputes at an early stage and before the cost of litigation are incurred or escalated. I think this this case um, was about Japanese knotweed, not the standard disrepair mm. types of cases that we do, but still, it still will have an impact on the disrepair cases that we are currently dealing with. Obviously, if parties are able to resolve their disputes under ADR, it would obviously be a lot quicker for the tenants, cheaper, and um, it will relieve a lot of pressure on the justice system. However, I think on the flip side, being made to mediate could possibly delay matters and could actually lead to further costs being incurred. What do you guys think? It can definitely delay matters. I think if you're forced into doing ADR, mm. while it's a great thing, I think it is a good idea. And I think that's the whole point of the pre-action process anyway. If you're forced into doing ADR, you are waiting still further for them to carry out the works. Mm. So as if you're if you're if you're in really if your tenants in you know poor housing conditions, you want to get that fixed as soon as possible. Exactly. Um, especially if you're acting on their behalf. From a landlord's perspective, you want the opportunity to actually discuss it. You want to know what's going on, what their concerns are. So ADR can be helpful, 
but it can also delay your 100% right, it will delay, uh, will's a bit harsh, maybe it can delay matters, mm. depending on how active, again, the landlord wants to be. Uh, not weed is quite a rare one, but the, the overarching principle is a big one. I think yeah. the whole point of the ADR is... To resolve the matter sooner yeah, rather than yeah, later. Yeah. I think the, the, the other issue would probably be the tenants that are not represented. Oh, yes. Um, I think tenants will perhaps attend this mediation because they're, they're made to attend, but not knowing what their rights are. And so I think that's really important is, are they, you know, are they going to be attending mediation with that representation or knowing what's right and what's wrong? And then legal aid is a question as well, because if it's, me, yeah. if it's ADR and if it's disrepair in the pocket, it's not... Reaction as well. Yeah, it's quite early mm. on. So would legal aid be willing to actually fund that? You raise questions about how much legal aid should get involved in our intro episode. Yeah. If there's no legal aid in place or there's not legal aid available, do clients have to attend by themselves? Is that fair for them? Um, yeah. Especially if they're made to remediate and then made to go alone. Would it be fair? It'll be interesting when the judgment comes out. I think everyone's mm. kind of waiting for that. Thing. Oh, Dalgia, whilst you mentioned legal aid, it's actually quite, um, it's quite important to note that not every firm will have a legal aid contract. Legal aid is available for housing conditions claims, but the criteria is such that the conditions in the home is prejudicial to the health. So, oh, so think, you have to make sure it's prejudicial health yes. before you can get legal aid. Okay. Yes, certainly. That's, that's quite important. Um, otherwise, funding may not be granted. Now, that's really good to know because, again, it's one of those questions like, what are my rights? You know, yeah. tenants should know what they are, especially your right to get public funding. Public funding is available to repair. Great. But if there's something you need, if there's, you know, a condition that needs to be met, again, that's really important for them to know. So thanks. Okay. Yeah, ultimately, if legal aid is not available, we at Duncan Lewis Solicitors can actually offer something called a conditional fee agreement. It's also known as a no win, no fee, but this will be subject to merit um, of the um, case before us. I think it's um, tendencies to be aware that there is legal aid available, is limited but it is available and I think a lot of people might be doing CFAs, the no win, no fee agreements, but it's also important to let tenants know or anyone suffering from, from disrepair that legal aid is available. Good point actually about legal aid funding. Mm. You can actually search legal aid providers near you. Uh, it's quite straightforward actually, it's quite easy unfortunately. You just go to Google um, or any search engine and just type in find a legal aid solicitor. From there, they'll take you to the government website where you can actually put your postcode in and you can narrow down the area of law. So in this case, for example, disrepair will be housing. And then they'll tell you who is the closest provider with a legal aid contract to you. That way you don't have to literally, well, that way you can get access to support through legal aid uh, and they'll, you'll know they'll have the contract for it as well. Mm. And, and tenants could also approach their CABs, law centres, charities as well. You know, so it's important for for tenants to know not to suffer in silence and don't assume just because you've complained or notified the landlord of an issue in your property that you're going to be evicted. There are you know laws in place that prevents landlords from unlawfully evicting you. So it's really important that you know your rights. And I guess this is why we are here doing this podcast to let to let people know what the rights are. I think it's also important that people know what they can do if the boiler breaks down. They have no hot water, heating, especially during the colder periods, especially if you have young kids or, or the elderly. I think it's important that we do let the audience know what they can 
do? Because earlier we spoke about giving the landlord reasonable notice, but in, in such circumstances, is giving seven, 14 days... Is it reasonable? Is it reasonable? That much time? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I mean, how much time would you would you give? It depends on, if, you look, if you're saying things like no hot water, no heating, you're asking for immediate turnaround. You want something mm. done within 24 hours, 40 mm. hours for an emergency plumber to come, you know. If I speak from a tenant's perspective, a landlord should normally have landlord insurance or something in place to, you know, compensate for these sort of out-of-the-ordinary events. So if it's something that's massively putting your family at risk, i.e. there's no electricity, there's no heating, there's no water, it should be immediate. Your note can be given in any sort of way, like we say, put it in writing, the landlord should be looking to take action. If the tenant has to go to court, one of the questions I'm always asked by clients, what is the remedy that they can seek from the judge? An injunction. And what can the injunction do? Order your landlord to carry out works, specific works. So if, you have, if there is something you say that's wrong in the property, i.e. the boiler's not working, then you can get an injunction for them to carry out specific works, which is to repair the boiler. Mm. There's also other remedies as well. But... Uh, tenants can also um, seek damages, and damages mm. can be broken up into um, general damages as well as special damages. Mm. Just to explain what general damages and special damages are. General damages are damages that are awarded by the court to compensate a tenant for uh, loss of amenity, loss of enjoyment of the property, and a general distress and inconvenience. Special damages are damages designed to compensate the tenant for specific financial losses that they may have incurred. Um, so for instance, if their carpet's been ruined, rugs have been ruined, they've had to throw stuff away and replace it. It might even include additional expense that a tenant has had to, has incurred like, additional energy bills if the property is really drafty and cold and they have to spend more money mm. on heating the property in order to make it uh, in order to make it livable. I think it's also important to let tenants know to retain and keep any evidence of any losses they've suffered as a result of the disrepair. We've had a lot of tenants who've come to see us seek advice and assistance but unfortunately they've not kept any any receipts. I guess it's um it's difficult to to obtain any evidence of items that have been purchased like 10 years ago, for example. So you don't expect, I mean, I know I don't keep receipts of any purchases yeah, over a couple of years. No, no. Um, so what I've advised clients before is if a particular item has been damaged as a result of a disrepair and they have any photographic evidence of that being in the property because they don't have the receipts, that is also potentially a good evidence to, to show that a particular item has been you know, damaged or, or lost as a result of, of the disrepair. Have any of you encountered any problems with clients' evidence? Yeah, I think the similar sort of ones, the idea that clients don't either keep receipts or, they're, um, or they don't in some cer certain circumstances take photos of what's been damaged and left. So it becomes much harder to, to you know, a, a court will want to see it. A court will want to see mm. if you're claiming you suffered a specific loss, a specific damage as a result of the disrepair, the courts would like to see what that actually is. The more evidence we can provide or the more evidence any tenant can provide, the more likely a court's going to be open to the idea that, look, we can put a figure to it. Otherwise, it's really difficult to put a figure to something that you may have lost and it might have been there for a long time. Or mm. um, Yeah, so it allows the court to kind of quantify uh, what, you know, they what think it's right, yeah, yeah, what losses you've got and what's right to be compensated for. I, th I think it's uh, 
it's imperative that tenants are also aware it's the replacement value, not the purchase mm, value. And I think a lot, a lot of clients that I've, I've advised have perhaps brought a laptop a few years ago was worth seven, eight hundred pounds, but a few years later it's worth a lot less. So it's a replacement value that is what the courts look at. Good to know for the tenants, actually. Yeah, very good to know their rights. Well, we certainly covered a lot there. Um, today has been a really interesting episode, and I look forward to the next one um, where we'll be talking about subsidence, I understand. Um, until next time, bye bye. <laughs>